You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Good to see everybody this morning. How are you? Uh, you get me again speaking, third week in a row. <laughs> but, uh, but I won't be speaking for a while after this, so... It's cool because we have a number of different guests, if you're, uh, speakers, if you're a guest today. Um, I love that about our church. We get to hear from different voices, and every speaker kind of connects with different people. Uh, so it's really cool. You know, a lot of churches are, you ask somebody, where do you go to church? And it, oh, it's so-and-so, oh, you know pastor so-and-so, and it's all kind of about that one personality, you know what I mean? But we're just a bunch of people who uh, love God and love the Bible, and it's not really about who's speaking, right? It's just about the Word of God. Not to be down on any other churches, I'm just saying I love that about our church. But uh, we're doing a series right now called Ordinary Heroes, and um, uh, I'll get to that in just a minute. I wanted to show you some pictures, though, first. We had a uh, celebration of graduation with our community group this last week for our midweek service, and I just wanted to show you from our community group who graduated. And um, I appreciate Mark Sijimoto putting this this group together, uh, the community group celebration. It was really awesome. You know, each family shared about their kid. Uh, it was very emotional, very just moving, you know, to this, this rite of passage for our kids who are going on to bigger and better things. And it kind of ties into our lesson today. We're, we looked at Enoch last week. We're looking at kind of ordinary people in the Bible that you maybe don't normally hear lessons about. We looked at Enoch last week, a man who walked with God. And this week we're looking at Timothy. And kind of the subheading of the lesson today on Timothy is the story of a kingdom kid. Because Timothy grew up in the church. Much, much like uh, these kids that grew up in the church. And Mark uh, shared a few other uh, photos of, of graduates. I don't know if you know who that is. He, he was a kingdom kid. He was a teen in the, our, our teen ministry at one point. Anybody know who that is? Sherwin Rusty, yes. Uh, but he shared other, uh, Mark had other pictures of other uh, graduates from long ago. There's, uh, anybody know who that is? Brock and Norma Bengard, yes. Yes. Uh, anybody know who that is? Lisa Huerta. She has the, uh, the appropriate hairdo for the time. It's awesome. And this, we were joking that... Um, we were joking about the fact that I think Ricky was 31 when he graduated from high school. <laughs> He's rocking that mustache. And on the other hand, Mark, I think Mark Sijimoto, he must have been about 16 when he graduated. (laughs) I love that. I like how his hair looks kind of like Pokemon or something, you know. It's awesome surfer hairdo. Mark was a surfer and an artist, still is. But yeah, so we're talking today about Timothy, story of a kingdom kid. If you want to go ahead and turn over to 2 Timothy. And with Timothy's life... We're going to talk about two aspects of Timothy's life. One, external influence, and two, internal combustion. Basically, we need outside influence in our life, and but we also need an internal, an internal fire to kind of keep us going. We need both. They need to be balanced. And uh, we live in such an individualistic society in America. It's so much is about me. We don't... Um, we don't have a great ethic for we, it, 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 community, in our... In our, in our, our uh, 
our, our society has even become more and more that way. This is sociologists that say this, not just church people, but sociologists say we, we have a very, very individualistic society in the Western culture, and, and particularly in America, and it's getting more and more so. And so we really need to work on our we aspect, the we aspect of, 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 our, of our community here. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about that, the external influence, but then we will get to the internal part, the me part. So we're going to talk about we, and we're going to talk about me. But uh, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to talk about external influence first. And I'm going to say a word of prayer before we uh, open the Bible here. So let's pray. God, thank you to be able to look in your scriptures right now. Thank you that, uh, you know, your, your Bible is everywhere. We can get it on our phones. Uh, we can uh, hear it on the Internet. It's just amazing how your word is so available to us in this time in history like no other time in history. And I pray we could be people of the word, God, that we would... Uh, respect and value and esteem your word and live by the word, God, that we would humble ourselves to what you have to say. I pray that you'd speak to all of us as, as we look at some of these writings of Paul and of Luke um, and uh, look back at the story of Timothy. I pray that each one of us would take something away from this time together. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you don't have our South Bay app, it's available in the App Store. Uh, just look for South Bay Church. Look for our logo. Uh, the notes for this lesson are on there. And you can also stay in touch with everything that we have going on. Uh, so please uh, download that app if you would, if you don't have it yet. But number one, external influence. In, in 2 Timothy 3, uh, it says, uh, I thank God, 2 Timothy 1 verse 3, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Uh, so this is Paul, uh, one of the, the great leaders of the early church, uh, who planted many churches and um, very, very uh, much an influence on, on us and what we do today because uh, a lot of his writings have been recorded for us. So we kind of get a glimpse back into the, what, what Christianity was like in the first century. But Paul writes this letter to Timothy towards the end of his life. And as my dad was talking about reflecting back and hanging out with the, that, that older couple, he didn't mention that was Pat Boone that he was hanging out with. Uh, some of you older folks might know who Pat Boone is. But, um, uh, but, but we, you know, as you remember back on, uh, on things, Paul is at the end of his life, and he's remembering back on his relationship with Timothy. And they've had a, a relationship through the years. Uh, Timothy is still a young man uh, relative to Paul. But at this point, Timothy is the, the evangelist for the church in Ephesus. And uh, the letters of First and Second Timothy, Paul gives him a lot of instruction. Uh, there's a lot of instructions, particularly in First Timothy, about all these aspects of, of church leadership and culture and things he needs to address. Uh, but Second Timothy is a little more personal, as Paul is kind of ent entering his last phase of life, and he knows uh, that he's not not going to be much longer here on the earth. And, and uh, church tradition has it that he was. Uh, killed by Nero. He was beheaded for his faith not too much longer after this. But remembering back, he says, I remember, Timothy, how your faith, it began with your grandmother uh, and your mother. Uh, your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now it's in you. And Paul is saying that faith is meant to be generational. Faith is meant to pass on from, from one, one generation to the next. And so that external influence in terms of generation is a good thing. And we, we talked about that a few weeks ago with our, with our teen ministry. You know, we, we, we want each teen to have their own faith. And we're, we're, we're talking about that here in a minute. But it, it starts with your family. 
And that's a good thing, and that's a thing that we should foster. And it's not just kind of the immediate family, but it's the whole church family. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But this began with, with uh, his family. And if you skip down to chapter 3, 2 Timothy 3, and verse 14, he, he says to Timothy, As for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from who you learned it. Again, we're talking about his family and his church community. And how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Uh, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So Paul reminds Timothy uh, remember who you learned, remember where you started, you know, remember the, the, the beginnings of your faith, how you learned from infancy the Holy Scriptures. And what's, what Holy Scriptures is he talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament, right? For the early church, that was their Scriptures. And so Paul, uh, Timothy grew up in a Jewish household. His father was not a Jew, as we'll see in a minute. Uh, his father didn't seem to be a person of faith, but his grandmother was and his mother was. And so from infancy, they were passing on these Scriptures. And he says those Scriptures are meant to not just be uh, something that's theoretical, but it's meant to be something that equips you for life and for relationship. They're useful for, for, for the interactions that you have for other people, for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. It should have an effect on your life. And so we in this church, we really believe that the Bible is still relevant today. It's living and active and it, and, and it holds answers for our parenting, for our marriage, for what kind of employee you should be, uh, for, for conduct here in the church, the, the Bible is still so relevant. And, and yet and we've got to put it into practice in our lives. And the way the Bible comes to life is through relationships. Not just, uh, you know, a, a to-do list of do, do this and don't do that. But it's through the relationships that we have with one another. I know for me personally, my parents are here today. And I'm like Timothy. I grew up hearing the, the Word of God in our household. Uh, uh, you know, my, my, my parents, uh, they grew up in households of faith. And they passed that faith on to me and my sisters. And so we grew up memorizing scripture when we were young. And, uh, and we grew up, you know, seeing them uh, live out scripture themselves. Uh, probably the b- biggest Im- impact on us, my, me and my sisters, was my parents uh, really living their Christianity. Uh, that, that they weren't perfect. They, they didn't, they didn't uh, live the sinless life. But when they did sin, they would apologize or they would work on it. You know, they were t- constantly trying to train themselves and grow and and get help from outside influences and we moved our whole family uh, from one city to another uh, a couple times as I was growing up so that my parents could be in a better church situation so they could uh, get more discipling themselves and so they could get their own spiritual needs met that has such an impact on uh, a young person right our, our family was an open family, open doors. You know, we had people uh, over for dinner often. We, we had parties at our house often. We, were, uh, we had people live with us that were in need, uh, that, that, that didn't have a place to stay. Uh, more, more than once, we had several people live with us. To, to such a degree that when I was a senior in high school, um, I found a kid under a bush. I didn't even know this kid, but I'm like, what are you doing under here? I'm on my way into school. He's like, oh, I spent the night here under this bush. And I'm like don't sleep under a bush, you can come stay with me. So without even asking my parents, I invited a guy to come live in my room uh, in high school. Uh, That's just the kind of uh, household we had growing up. And I imagine it was was similar for Timothy. You know, he he had a great start from his family, 
Let's look, uh, let's look at some of the history there in Acts 14. If you turn to Acts 14, uh, we'll, we'll see uh, kind of the story as recorded by, by, uh, by Luke. So Acts 14, give me an amen when you're there. Okay, you guys are quick. So uh, Timothy is from a, a town called Lystra. Let me show you a map here where this is. Oh, that's me, actually. <laughs> that's my senior photo. I was going to show you that when I was talking about my parents. Okay, so Lystra is here. Lystra and Derby. So Paul, uh, Paul was from, uh, he, he really got his start as a minister here in Antioch. Uh, and, uh, you know, Jerusalem's down here. Uh, so he's in Antioch. This is very Greek, a lot of Greek influence here. Uh, this is modern-day Turkey, if you're not aware, and Greece is over here. So, um, so Paul goes on his first missionary journey, him and Barnabas, and so they go like this, and then they end up, they're persecuted in Iconium. They end up in Lystra, where we're going to read. Um, in Lystra, he heals a blind, uh, heals a lame man, and so then the people see this amazing miracle, and they start worshiping him and Barnabas as gods. And they're calling him Apollos and Zeus, and they're worshiping them. Uh, and they're like, no, no, don't worship us. We're just ordinary people. And uh, so then all the, the, the crowd is all stirred up. Then these Jews come from some of these other cities where they had been that were kind of following on Paul's uh, trail and, and persecuting these early Christians. So they come along uh, because they didn't believe that what Paul was teaching was accurate. They believed the Messiah was something different than who Jesus represented. Anyway, they stir over the crowd and they stone Paul. Uh, they hit him with rocks and then they leave him for dead uh, in Lystra. So that's the beginning of the church in Lystra where, uh, where, where Timothy's from. And, and maybe he witnessed that. Maybe his mother or grandmother witnessed this. Maybe that was part of how they became Christians. We don't really know. But then after that, they, they come back in verse 22 they come back through these towns, uh, it says, Paul and Barnabas, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. So this is, this is their, their encouraging message to these, these people. Well, you got to go through a lot of hardships <laughs> to be a Christian. That's how they encourage them. And that's kind of interesting, isn't it? It wasn't like, oh, God's going to work it out. It's, you know, it's, you got to go through a lot of hardships. You saw me, th- you know, stoned and left for dead. That's just how it works. Um, you know, it's going to be hard. Um, you know, it's just kind of interesting. That's, that's, that's the beginning of this church that Timothy was from. That, you know, and it's true, right? It is hard to be a Christian. I really applaud the, t- the teenagers that are trying to live the Christian life in high school. It's, it's hard. Um, so then in Acts 15, uh, we, we won't, we don't have time to kind of look at it, but I just want to kind of give you the context. So Acts, Acts 15, Paul goes back to Antioch. It says he stayed there a long time in verse 28. And then there's a council down in Jerusalem because what's happening, as I mentioned, these, the, 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 there was a, a movement among the Jews to say, first of all, there was the, the persecutors who said Christianity is not even valid. Then there was those who believed in Christianity, but instead in order to be a Christian, you also have to be a Jew. So they were saying you have to be circumcised, if you're a Greek, if, uh, if you're a Gentile, you have to be circumcised. You need to follow all of the rules of, of Judaism. And there are a lot of rules of Judaism. You have to follow all of this stuff if you want to be a Christian. Because Christianity, the early church, it was all Jewish. And all of Jesus' apostles were Jews. And so it came out of the Jewish faith, but it was meant to be for all nations, all cultures. But, but there was a misunderstanding about do you have to be a, a Jew or do you not have to be a Jew. So they have this big council in Jerusalem in Acts 15. 
The ruling is no, they don't have to be Jews, these Gentile believers. They just need to, uh, you know, it's the, it's the basic faith. You know, there, there's communion, there's baptism, there's, uh, it says they need to, they should probably not eat food that idols have, have uh, that's been sacrificed to idols. They shouldn't uh, be engaged in sexual morality. They need to live a pure life, but they don't have to follow all of the Jewish customs. Does that make sense? So then we p- kept, uh, we, we pick up in Acts 16, if you want to turn there. So Paul decides to go on another missionary journey. This time he and Barnabas part ways because of a disagreement about John Mark. And one, one of the lessons we're going to hear about is about John Mark. Uh, Steve's going to preach that one in a few weeks. So instead, Paul takes Silas, and him and Silas go on their missionary journey. And then in verse 16, Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived. So this is where we're first introduced to Timothy. His mother was Jewish and a believer, but his father was a Greek. Verse 2, the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. That's the council we talked about. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in number. So here's where Paul, Paul going back, here's where he first really encounters Timothy. And there's some, some interesting things there. First of all, it says the whole church spoke well of him, right? In verse uh, 2, the, 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 whole, the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well in both, both churches, both cities. So that just tells you that the whole church w- was involved. Like there, there is a, one community. It wasn't like, okay, there's the teen ministry and there's the singles ministry and there's the marriage. You know, everybody knew each other, right? And it's all one family. And so, so, so the, these churches were able to say, oh yeah, this, this young kingdom kid, this, this guy Timothy is a great guy, Paul. You got to meet him. You know, they, they, he was commended by everyone. They were all involved. And that's what my early, uh, Christian life was like when I was, uh, a teenager. We, I went to a Bible talk that had marrieds, it had singles, it had a few teens. Uh, you know, I remember bringing friends from my school, from my high school to this group. And uh, my teen leader, who w- was named Drew Nichoff, and uh, it, he was a br- great brother. And I really connected with him and identified with him because he loved, loved music. And he wrote music and he had a little four track and had recorded stuff. And so that was like, oh, that's, that's speaking my language right there. But he led the Bible talk and I remember... Uh, you know, him meeting my friends from school and, you know, he was trying to do other kinds of ministry, but, but, but it was, it was an integrated group. Uh, and, uh, you know, I remember going and playing basketball as a teenager with some of the singles. One of those was Clay Jackson, wherever he is. So when I was a teen, Clay was a single, you know, I remember playing basketball with Clay and some other brothers. And, but so these, these, the point is that these other, other, uh, people at other stages in life, they had a big influence on me. And so I'd imagine it was probably the same with Timothy, that these, these other people in the church really influenced Timothy. And so you don't know the power of your influence on our young people. You know, teaching kids kingdom, helping with preteens, helping with junior high, uh, helping our teenagers. They don't give off the vibe that you're having an impact on them. And like when I was a teenager, I definitely did not give up that vibe at all. You know, I was known for just being so solemn and, you know, expressionless. But, but I, those things really made an impact on me. You know, the people that came over to our house for dinner, the, the, the example of, of student ministry, the, the, the people who were kind of ahead of me in, in the race, you know, in the Christian race, in the Christian walk, they made a huge impact on me. So no matter where you're at here in our fellowship, we're meant to be one integrated family. 
and, and, and the, the, the impact you can have on the next generation, there's really nothing more valuable you could do. Because it, faith is meant to be generational. Uh, I, I want to share you, with you a quote that, uh, I was going to share this later, but I'll share it right now. John Lusk shared at the family conference last summer. He was talking about Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go everywhere, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, a lot of us who, who are part of the church for a long time, we know Matthew 28, 18 through 20 well, which is that we are to make disciples of all nations. We're, to, we're, we're supposed to expand the horizons of the church. But here's what he said. He said, in our haste to follow Jesus' command to engage the geographical dimension of this commission in our lifetime, which wasn't even mentioned by Jesus in the commission, we have neglected the generational dimension of this command, which was specifically mentioned by Jesus until the very end of the age. I'll read that one more time. In our haste to follow Jesus' command to engage the geographic dimension of this commission in our lifetime, which wasn't even mentioned by Jesus in the commission, we have neglected the generational dimension of this command, which was specifically mentioned by Jesus until the very end of the age. In other words, uh, we're a part of a family of churches that is around the world. 600 plus churches all over the world. And my dad shared a little bit about some of our churches and uh, we love that. We love that we're an international fellowship, and we really worked hard to launch all these churches all over the world. But we, we don't want to neglect the generational aspect, that we're making disciples of all nations until the end of the age, until Jesus returns. And so we've got to make sure we're also passing on to the next generation. And so the, the external influence is super, super important. The future of the church is really in the hands of young people. And so I think Paul saw that, you know, that's why it said he wanted to take him along on the journey. Why did Paul want to take him along on the journey? Did he just want an intern, somebody to do all his work for him? Uh, you know, I really don't think so. I think Paul saw that the future is in the hands of people like Timothy, the future of the church. He's got to invest in, in younger people. And so I really believe Paul, uh, we, we wouldn't have Timothy, you know, we wouldn't be st- talking about Timothy if, there ha- if it hadn't been for Paul, if it hadn't been for his influence on Timothy. But I really think that uh, Timothy needed Paul. I don't know if we would have Paul if we didn't have Timothy. Do you know what I mean? We really benefit from each other in our relationships. And, and, and in, the, in these one another relationships, we really need each other. And so for the young people, you know, I, I, we went to these graduation speeches and a couple of them, you know, the young people talked about this reputation that they have of being self-absorbed. You know, and it's kind of a joke, right, with millennials or whatever's after millennials, Generation Z, uh, just how they're so self-absorbed and all that. You know, our young people are getting a bad rap in a way, but, but who's not self-absorbed? I mean, <laughs> we're all self-absorbed. And what I see, you know, from these kids and, and from the, these graduation speeches and stuff, these, these, these young people want to change the world. That's what I heard a lot of. We want to change the world. We want to make a difference. We want to heal the ills of society. We want to do something about our, our warming climate. You know, we want to do something about human rights violations in our world. We want to do something about ending poverty. Uh, we want to do something to, to you know, about curable diseases. Uh, you know, th- these young people really want to make a difference. And so those of us who are a little older, we need to be like these people. We spoke well of Timothy. You know, they, they, they said, oh, this is a great guy. We need to have a culture of, of really, we're behind you, you know, we're with you. We want to see you succeed. And, uh, and mentoring is one of the best things you can do uh, for some of our young people. I'll talk more about that in a little bit. But, you know, as I reflect back, I am so, so grateful for different people like Drew, who I shared about, who made an impact on me. You know, there was a, after Drew, there was another team leader named uh, Mike Pierce. 
And Mike, uh, the things I remember, he was just on, he was just really crazy, like tons of energy, if you know Mike Pearson. And that was really good for me because I was super laid back. And Mike was just, ah, you know. And so I could kind of learn, okay, I need to be a little bit more out of my shell like Mike. And uh, Mike was super passionate about stuff. He loved music, but his music was like the older music to me. Like he loved Yes, and he loved Rush, and he loved Kansas, and you know, these awesome bands from the 70s. You know, some of you are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like, that was a little old music for me, but it made me more well-rounded because I, I learned, oh, this is really good stuff. You know, this is amazing stuff. And, and uh, kind of we shared the, the music with each other. He, he was dating a, a girl, a, a sister who he, he, he had met, and he had actually invited her to church. And, uh, you know, they were dating. And so I learned a lot from their dating relationship. You know, he was so in love with her and he always talking about her and writing her cards. And, and uh, you know, him and his roommates, they were crazy roommates. You know, they, they always watched the Three Stooges. One of his, uh, his roommates, John Engler, was super into Three Stooges. And they would play, you know, indoor hockey in their house with, uh, you know, uh, a hockey puck in their house, in their apartment. And, you know, just a wild, crazy, you know, household. And uh, I slept over there as much as I could. And, and uh, just, I learned a lot from just this younger person because, because you do need your parents, as I talked about, but you also go through a period where, you know, something about somebody else sharing something that you shared as a parent, you know, uh, it's like somebody else says it and now it's true, right? You know, <laughs> and uh, that is very true. You know, I remember that uh, with our kids, you know, like, um, you, you know, years later, this is many, many years later, we, the Plymouths discipled us for quite a while. And, uh, you know, it was cool because Brian and Karen, you know, about 10 or 12 years older than us. And so they were like big brother and big sister to us. And then I was trying to help Daniel become a Christian, who's their son, and, uh, you know, studying the Bible with him. And we connected a lot with music, and he became a part of our worship team up when we were meeting at the movie theater and tried to really, uh, you know, impress on him some of the things that I'd learned. And he was baptized on my spiritual birthday. That was a kind of a special thing that we share. But then Daniel, you know, I remember Daniel hanging out with Jameson some, and, and just seeing Jameson light up about Daniel, you know. Again, like Daniel could share something with Jameson that I had shared before, but, but it's now a new truth, you know. It's now, it's now real, you know, because somebody who's young and cool is sharing it. And, and so we, we, we need those intergenerational relationships, right? And, and Sean was sharing about that this morning in our roundup where we shared good news with our worship team, just how, how grateful he is for those intergenerational connections that we have in the church. And, uh, and so Paul shares more about this in 1 Corinthians 4. You don't have to turn there, but 1 Corinthians 4, 16, he, sa- he talks to the Corinthians because Timothy ends up, um, they end up going to Corinth together and then, uh, and then they plant the church there. And then later, Paul is going to send Timothy to Corinth uh, following this letter that he sends first to 1 Corinthians 4. And 1 Corinthians 4, 16 Paul says, therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Paul says, I'm a spiritual father to you, so I want you to imitate me. Verse 17, for this very reason I've sent you, Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with all I teach everywhere in every church. So Paul says, you know, we need these generational relationships. I am, became a father to you, the Corinthian church, and, and you will benefit if you imitate me. That's a lot of confidence Paul had, right, in his own Christian walk. But you learn something about his relationship with Timothy. He says, uh, Timothy and I are, are so much alike in, in, that I can send you Timothy and that will remind you of me. Isn't that cool, that relationship Paul had with Timothy? There was, must have been a lot of trust in that relationship. I mean, 
not the least of which, you know, if you notice, we read earlier, Paul circumcised Timothy uh, in order to, to, to make it more relatable on the mission field. And he didn't even need to do that. That was an opinion matter, right? Paul even wrote in Galatians before I, that you don't even need to be circumcised. But, but, but that's the level of trust Timothy had in their relationship. That they, we want to work together and we trust each other. And Paul's able to say, you know, I want you to remember me and the things I taught you. So I'm sending Timothy to you. You know, imitation uh, has kind of gotten a bad rap. Uh, it's definitely not part of our, it's very, very cross, you know, countercultural if you talk about imitating someone. I want to be like, because our culture is all about you be you. You live your own truth, right? You be you, you be you. I, I saw a funny Portlandia video about that the other day uh, where this guy, uh, you know, if you might have seen it, this girl, girl's trying to do a, a puzzle and, and this, there's so much noise across the hall that, that, she can't do her puzzle because it's bouncing the pieces. So she goes across the hall and she's like, can you turn down your music? I'm trying to do a puzzle over there. And he's like, hey, I'm just trying to be my authentic self. I'm just trying to be me. <laughs> so she's like, okay, okay. So then later she comes back. She's out somewhere. She comes home and she hears like screaming in the room next door. Like somebody's being murdered or something, you know? So she bangs on the door. The guy has like blood on his face. She's like, what's going on here? He's like, I'm just trying to be my authentic self. I'm just trying to be me you know, can you just let me be me? And she's like, okay, I'm not sure. And then these cops come and, you know, you know, the, and then the guy tells the cop, look, I'm just trying to live my authentic self, you know? And then the cop's like, yeah, you're right. You be you, man. You know, you, you live your, you live your truth. <laughs> you know, it's, it's so ridiculous and stupid, but that's just our society right now. It's like, you be you, you be you. And, and we do need to be our authentic self. I, I believe in that. But, but imitation is a starting point to you being you. Like if you want to become a great musician, you start by imitating other great musicians. If you want to be a great artist, you start by imitating other great artists. If you want to be a great engineer or architect or scientist, you start by imitating others who are excellent in that area, don't you? In all of those disciplines. So when it comes to Christianity, the starting point is imitating. Uh, imitating people who are good at Christianity. And imitation is a good thing. I remember uh, this, uh, another mentor in my life was a brother named Jay Kelly. And Jay uh, was our campus minister. And then we had a discipling relationship for quite a while. And again, I was, as I shared, I was super introverted, super quiet. Jay is not. <laughs> Those of you know Jay. And Jay is the type of person you come over to his house or come into a room and he's like, you know, just over the top giving. And so I remember thinking, I want to, tr you know, to try to imitate Jay in, in, in being giving. But, but really, like, if Jay's here, I'm kind of like here. But it would still help me, right? Help me to be a little more out of myself, a little more giving. And, and that's good. And so then, then you, first you imitate and then you synthesize. First you imitate and you imitate other people who are, you know, good uh, uh, external influence for you. And then you synthesize that in who you are. You still need to be you, but imitation is a good thing. We need each other. Here's the main thing to take away from this is the church only thrives when we're in each other's lives. The church only thrives when we're in each other's lives. We absolutely need each other. And, and it's not just, you know, multi-generational. Uh, you know, I know I talked about you know, passing on to our kids. But listen, singles, you are a big part of that. Like, like you make a huge influence on everybody here and, 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 that's, and, and, and others can make a huge influence on you. Like we really all need each other. Paul was single. Timothy was single 
uh, and, and Paul is influencing a whole church, starting whole churches, writing whole things. You know, it's not a matter about whether you have kids or don't have kids. It's a matter of all of us helping each other with whatever we are. The older need the younger. Uh, you know, the insiders, those who grew up in the church, we need the outsiders, those who never had any Christian background. We really benefit so much from hearing from each other, hearing each other's stories, understanding each other's perspectives. Uh, people who grew up in the church, kingdom kids like me, we can tend to be a little bit, uh, you know, we, don't, we aren't as grateful for, uh, uh, you know, what, our salvation because we kind of grew up around it, right? And so Paul has to keep reminding Timothy uh, to, to be passionate, to be on fire, to, to fan into flame, you know, as we're going to talk about in a minute. Uh, and so we need people who, like, they were outside, completely outside, you know, the faith. And then they come in and they, you know, when you see someone else appreciate the Bible for the first time that you grew up with, it becomes new to you. You know, if ever I study the Bible with someone who's never read the Bible before, that is so good for my faith. Because you see their face light up as they read these verses and you're like, wow, yeah, the Bible is really awesome, isn't it? You know, because you start to take things for granted. So we all need each other. Uh, and this is an area where we can really shine. My, my son Marshall and I were talking about how uh, this is the first generation where you, had all of human, you have all of human knowledge in your pocket, in a way. You know, like you can access almost any kind of information in almost an instant, you know, just go to Wikipedia or go wherever. And so there, there, there is kind of a, of a vibe of old people, we don't need them anymore. You know, because every other society, if you think about it, the old people were the repository of knowledge. If you wanted knowledge, you got to use old people and books. <laughs> right? But nowadays, you don't need, need that anymore. So, so this is something where the younger people, you can really shine in that you value older people, older perspectives, people who've gone before you. You can be a, a light uh, in our church in, in, in that kind of perspective, where, which is cross-cultural right now. Uh, okay, I got to move on. What, I, I want to say this new ministry we're starting, uh, uh, young adult, you hear us say yams, well, that is young adult ministry. Uh, this is new for us. We've never done this before. Campus age ministry, uh, 18 to 25 or so. It's going to need all of our help to get this thing off the ground. We just have a few students, but we need all help. You know, and I encourage you to ask the Peckmans, how can I help? Or ask the Hoods. I really appreciate the Hoods shepherding this ministry. You know, could we have the students over to our house or, uh, you know, when I was a kid growing up, the students used to have dinner every Sunday night, you know, that the marriage would provide. It's called student dinner, you know, and, and so that was a special way of, of, of connecting the marrieds and the, and the, and the young students. And, but, but just think, how can I help with this young adult ministry? It's going to take our whole, our whole group at our uh, meeting this last, uh, yesterday with, uh, Ruben, uh, Deanda was sharing about, uh, the internship that we had this summer here in LA. And they were sharing, uh, the, uh, the couple that led that internship was from North River Church, where uh, Tom Brown is the minister. And that church has, a, has 250 college students in, in one church. But the whole church is really kind of all about student ministry, and everybody helps out with the students. So it's kind of a whole family uh, thing that everybody does together. Uh, it's it's kind of like, remember the movie Dunkirk, where everybody gets their boat and they're all trying to rescue those soldiers? That's kind of how we should be as a church. We're all, we all got our little boat. It might be a little rickety thing, but, but we, we're going to help out. We're going to do our part. You know, our home or our apartment or our, our recipe is some way to help out our student ministry. That's, that's what we want is, is, uh, is everybody involved in helping the young people. Amen? So external influence. Church only thrives when we're in each other's lives. Secondly, we're going to talk about internal combustion. Uh, there's something, and this is a little shorter. 
There's something interesting that Paul says in Galatians 6. Uh, he says, carry one another's burdens. In so doing, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So we need each other. We need external influences. Carry each other's burdens. But then in the next verse, he says, each one should carry his own load. So which is it, Paul? Do you carry one another's burdens or does each person carry their own load? And Paul would answer, yes. That we all need to have that idea of, I want to help whoever's around me. I want to help whoever's around me. But then, but I'm not going to be like, okay, who's helping me with my burden? Right? The church is supposed to help me. I, I've got a burden here. You know, as far as it depends on you, it's like, okay, I'm going to carry my own load, but else, who else can I help? And imagine, if that's the fellowship where everybody's trying to help out, but they're also responsible for their own load. That's, that's the mature church, right? Uh, so when you are really in crisis, we are really in need, there's somebody to help you out. But, but it's both. It's both you, you need in, external influence, but you also need internal combustion. In other words, the pressure of outside influence must be matched by your own internal drive, spiritually. Your own internal pressure. Your own desire to, to, to please God yourself. Second Timothy 1, backing up to uh, where we heard about Timothy's family. Second uh, Timothy 1, verse 6. So right after Paul tells Timothy, he reminds him about his family, he says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or about me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel, because the, it's the power of God. He saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Paul says, you know, you had this external influence, you had your church, you had your parents, uh, your, your, your grandmother and your mother, but you've got to have your own internal drive. You've got to fan that into flame. I influenced you, you know, there was the laying on of my hands, but now you got to fan that into flame. Uh, backing up to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. In verse 7, sorry, 1 Timothy 4 verse 7. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we put our hope in the living God. Paul says, you know, this, this uh, work of being a Christian, it's suffering. Here he says, we labor and we strive. And he says to Timothy, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself to be godly. We've got to take responsibility for our own spiritual development you know it's not just external influence you can't just be dependent on the people around you you got to train yourself to be godly what does that look like you know he uses an athletic metaphor uh, a little bit later uh, we don't have time to turn there but in in second timothy 2 2 through 7 you can write it down he talks about uh, a soldier he talks about an athlete he talks about a farmer what are these metaphors have in common they're hard-working disciplined examples the soldier the the athlete the farmer and so you got to have your own internal desire to please god it has to match what's external uh, otherwise there's a problem like like if you think about an olympic athlete somebody is telling them what to eat what to drink what time to go to bed uh you know what their routine should be they're they're measuring everything they do they're 
they're uh, you know evaluating every single thing. They're they're taking film of what they're doing, and then they're critiquing that and sharing that with them. And you know they're they're really hard on that athlete. Why? Because that athlete really wants to go to the Olympics. They really want to improve. They want to be excellent. They want to be amazing. If you take that same coach and put them with me, it's not going to go that well. You know what I mean? They're going to be like, you got to get up this, you got to eat this, you got to do this. I'm going to be like, wait, 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 wait. You know, I just want to lose a few pounds or I just want to be a little more, just want to be a little more healthy, you know? So, so you need both. You need the external influence, but you got to have your own desire and they got to kind of work together. Does that make sense? So, uh, the idea of training helps, I think, you know, the, the, again, the, the thing is just train yourself to be godly. Training means repetition. Training means you're constantly trying to improve. Training involves some discomfort, right? Calvin, wouldn't you say? If you're going to train, you got to be, you know, it's maybe a little boring sometimes. Calvin helped Jameson with some stuff he could do with the basketball, you know, and to get better. And, you know, any kind of training, it's, it's, it's going to be a little boring sometimes. But, but, but repetition, improvement over time, you get better and better and better. That needs to be kind of the way that we view our Christianity. I want to get better. I want to get better. I want to improve. And that helps when you're going through testing. Like I remember a number of years ago, I, ha- I have an issue with uh, inanimate objects that don't work properly. <laughs> like it just makes me so angry. And I think my dad might have that, might have that too. <laughs> but you know, when something doesn't work, I just... I mean, I, and I would fail in my anger, you know, slamming something or, or, or getting so mad, you know. Uh, and so then, but I remember at one point years ago, a light went off like, you know what? I think this is, I'm not going to not be tested as much if I start to get better at this. Like God is just allowing a lot of opportunities and I keep failing. But maybe if I improve, then he'll move on to something else. <laughs> I know that's kind of weird. But it's just sort of like, okay, this is a test. Okay, I got to do better this time. And that just helped me a little bit. Okay, I'm in a, I'm in a test right now. I'm in a trial right now. Okay, well, how, can I, how can I process this a little better so then next time I'll be better? Does that make sense? I don't know. It just encourages me to think, okay, this is a testing. This is a training ground, and I want to improve. And we got to have that uh, 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 attitude of I want to get better and better. Uh, last verse I want to read is 2 Timothy 2, 2 through 15. Uh, I won't read the whole thing, but in 2 Timothy 2, 2, it says that Paul tells Timothy, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will be able to teach others. So there should be this passing on. There should be this, uh, I'm teaching you something that I learned, and then you can teach that to someone else. That should be the flavor of, of the church and how we help one another grow. But then in verse 15, 2 Timothy 2, 15, Paul tells Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. How do you want to present yourself to God? God sees and knows everything. We're all going to stand before God one day. Uh, Chuck Bray used to say, every one of us is going to stand before God someday, butt naked, all by yourself. (laughs) You guys remember that? And uh, it's true. You know, you have nobody else with you when you present yourself to God. So how do you want to present yourself to God? Like, like, I want to be better. I want to improve. I know I'm saved by grace. You know, we sang that song. I could never earn salvation. I could never repay God for what he's done to, for me. But I can get better. I can be a better worker for him. Uh, like this verse says, I can, I can get better at handling the word of truth. I can improve. 
Uh, my daughter, Cora, is an athlete, and, uh, you know, it's, it's so awesome. Dessa got to have a, a daughter who's a soccer player like her, so she loves that. But Cora has been working this year on her juggling, and at first she couldn't, you know, juggle that many times. It was like 30, 40 times, and, but then I remember when she passed 100, and now recently she passed 300. She can, you know, juggle the ball like this 300 times. That is, takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of, it didn't just happen. She wasn't like, okay, this time, and then she does 300. A lot of repetition, a lot of practice, a lot of, it's kind of boring, but you learn to like it. That's the, that's the Christian walk. You know, I want to get better. I want to improve. I want to present myself to God as, as awesome as I can be for him, for his glory. So in closing, the church here is not meant to be you know, the, the, the metaphor the Bible uses for church is not a TED talk. It's not a, you know, a concert for you guys. It's not a show. It's not a rally. It's a family. The church of God is a family. So we are meant to be in each other's lives. The church will only thrive when we're in each other's lives. So I want to give you a challenge. If you're not mentoring or involved in somebody else's life, to, to take a step towards doing that today. And there's going to be uh, on the app, uh, if you look later this afternoon, there'll be a little, uh, if you click on register, you'll be able to sign up to be a mentor. And what we want to do is create a database. We did this a while ago, but we need to make a new one. Create a database of people who are willing to mentor a kid, a teen, maybe mentor another single. But you go, I, I would like to help somebody else. Maybe I could get with them monthly. Maybe I could get with them every other week. But I want to help out. And then, you know, if you're a parent of kids, it's obviously up to you, your decision, who you want to get involved with your with your kid, but we want to kind of be able to give you, okay, here's all these people who said they would be willing to help out. And so they can, you know, have them over for dinner and, and, and try to make those, some of those connections. But I really want to give you a challenge to get involved in somebody else's life. And a great example in our life uh, for, for years now is a brother, uh, Brian Catania, who does our sound. And uh, years ago, uh, probably five years ago, six, seven years ago, uh, Marshall, our son Marshall was starting to get involved in the tech ministry. And since he was coming early on Sundays with me, I asked Brian, hey, would you be willing to get with, with Marshall? And, and I knew, uh, you know, Brian had gotten with junior high kids for years before and stuff. And, and, uh, and you know, I had no idea even how great a relationship it would be. And I asked Marshall a little bit about what he appreciated about his relationship with Brian. And, and Marshall said, I really appreciate the consistency, first of all. They get together almost every week. I uh, really appreciate the consistency uh, and, and, and time invested, uh, you know, sometimes they'll be talking for three or four hours because they both like to talk about, you know, get into these engaged in conversations. Uh, you know, but he said, I, I really appreciate that he's not trying to, to view, he doesn't view me as a project, but he, he, you know, he's not judgmental. He accepts me for who I am, but he's trying to help me. Like he's trying to help me grow, trying to help me grow in my relationship with God, but it's not like, you know, oh, you have to be like this for me to like you. You know, it's like, I like you for who you are. Now let's work on that. You know, like, let's, like, it's a helping relationship. And so he really, really appreciates that. And uh, I asked uh, Brian to text me, you know, what do you like about your relationship? What do you get out of it? And uh, he actually sent me an email because it was more than he could text. But he said a couple things he said. He gave me a great, nice email. But he said, Marshall is the most mature and down-to-earth teenager I've ever worked with. We always have great conversations about all kinds of topics, technology, life, spirituality, science, relationships, and all manner of other topics that happen to come up. Uh, like I know they always debate about whether it's possible to make a per perpetual motion machine, and they're on either side of that argument. And that's an example. <laughs> like he says, uh, we've literally had conversations involving several forms of insurance, his feelings on price haggling, and how credit cards are processed by local businesses. 
Most days when I hang out with him, I actually come away from it smarter because of his knowledge of these subjects is so detailed and because of his passion for learning. I also love he knows who he is. He never tries to be something else to please other people. Much like me, he can sometimes come across as odd to some, but he has no desire to change just so he can fit in. He recognizes his strengths and weaknesses, but rarely seems to feel he has to apologize because he does not fit into what someone would consider normal, quote-unquote. I also appreciate that during the times we get into the Bible and have spiritual discussions, he almost comes away with a list of questions that challenges my understanding of the Scriptures. He definitely has more of a Berean-like heart in many respects. Uh, he fully, fully wants to understand what the Scriptures are talking about. You know, and he goes on, but, but uh, you know, he, I appreciate that, that this relationship, and not only benefits Marshall incredibly, and as a parent, nothing makes you happier than people taking interest in your kids, right? We're so grateful for Dustin and Catherine, so grateful for Eddie and Joanna when they were here, for the Hoods, for others who, you know, uh, the Andersons had Jameson sleep over last night. Just so, you, when somebody loves your kid, you're like, oh, thank you. <laughs> so really appreciate uh, Brian, but Brian's getting something out of the relationship as well. So there's really nothing better we can do than involve ourselves in each other's lives. There's no way the church is going to thrive unless we're involved in each other's lives. Amen? Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us. 